And let us turn to the 11th chapter of Daniel. Also I in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. And now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they are. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven. And not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others besides those. And the king of the south shall be strong and one of his princes, and he shall be strong above him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a very great dominion. Now that's the first five verses. Beloved, this book of Daniel is one of the most magnificent books of all the Bible. It deals with the particulars and the precise matters that relate to the future. And Daniel's prophecy, of course, uh, dovetails with Revelation. And then, of course, it's tied in very definitely with some of the statements which our Lord made. In the 24th chapter of Matthew, our Savior says, When ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophets, standing in the holy place, then. In other words, our Savior recognized that Daniel was a prophet. He recognized that Daniel wrote. But he also recognized that Daniel made predictions that hadn't yet taken place. And at the time that our Savior lived, he speaks of the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, and that that had not yet been fulfilled. And so, all through the centuries, the Lord's people have had a special interest in the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel, therefore, has been the uh, object of attack by the critics and by those who sought to undermine the Bible. Daniel has been a major battleground. And the difficulty with Daniel is that his prophecies are so precise and his identifications are so clearly uh, before us that you either have to take him or you have to throw him overboard. You either got to accept him or you got to just abandon him. And out here in the state of Washington, when this uh, university out there taught this course on religious, through the Bible as literature, uh, they said that Daniel was not written till 150 a uh, B.C., which means that all these details about the Persian Empire and about Alexander the Great and Antiochus Epiphanes and all these great events which are here described had already taken place. And they have to post-date this because they can't believe that Daniel knew all this information 400 years before it took place. They just couldn't believe that that would be possible. 
And so unbelief determined the redating of the Bible, the redating of Daniel. They just wouldn't believe it, so they've got to redate it and put it back behind these events. But the difficulty with all this, if they're going to really throw the book of Daniel out or redate the book of Daniel because of these prophecies are involved, why they should redate it even yonder in the days that are yet before us where these events still haven't taken place. In other words, there are, there are many events in Daniel that haven't yet been fulfilled. And if you can't accept the ones that have been fulfilled and you had to redate it because of them, what are you going to do about all the rest of these things that are yet to be fulfilled? And there's so many of them in the book of Daniel. Now the book of Daniel is 12 chapters. It's a beautiful book. It's outlined. You can just take it and break it to pieces and see the, see the line, what happens. And then take the prophecies and they just fit down and you can analyze them and you get down to this section. And it's a very beautifully ordered book. And anybody can just read it and understand it. Now turn to the last chapter of the book of Daniel as I was telling you the other night as we looked to it. Uh, the very last chapter of the book of Daniel. In verse 9 we read, And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Daniel, I'm going to raise you from the dead. Last word, go stand in thy lot. Daniel, you'll rest until the end time. So God does tell us that in the end time, these things will be understood. And here we are, these despised fundamentalists that believe the Bible. And we understand these things. We can look at them. We get great comfort out of them. And as we study them, we go back and we just seem to be tied right into Daniel. And we're tied right into these mighty currents of history, the sweep of which is covered in, in these great prophecies. And we're a people that rise above the circumference of the earth and we get yonder even beyond the great expanse of the heavens. And we're dealing with God who's revealed to us these glorious events. We can see what's already taken place and the way it's taken place in the past is, is an evidence that it's going to take place this way in the future. And so we gather together, the world is out with its drink and its dance and its crime and its darkness and we get together with the people of God in the house and we take it and we read it and we study it and we get comfort out of it. And our souls are blessed because this is the word of God and it's been given to us for our learning, for our admonition. But we do have this special promise that many shall do wickedly and wickedness shall multiply and increase but the wicked shall not understand but the wise shall understand and so it's in that promise that we find great joy in, in moving into this now you take the book of Daniel in your hand for just a moment let me just run through the 12th chapters you can do it in just a minute and see the beautiful way in which it's ordered turn to chapter 1 will you please of the book of Daniel Daniel is an exile he's in Babylon 
And in the first chapter, you have an account of his companions and how they uh, didn't eat the king's meat and they were men who feared God. and They didn't defile themselves. They lived lives that were separate and clean and holy. Carried on their prayers and maintained their worship. Chapter 2 is the great image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It is the most important chapter in the book. In fact, everything else in the book is related to this chapter. You can take this great chapter, here's the image, the head of gold, and here's the silver, and here's the brass, and here's the iron, here's the toes, and then finally the image that comes without hands and smites it at the feet and it vanishes and it fills the whole earth. That second chapter gives you the whole sweep from Nebuchadnezzar until the second coming of Christ when the rock comes without hand and smashes the whole system and the whole world up succession of powers. Everything's in that second chapter. And consequently, as we move through and get into some of these details, we'll fit in here with Nebuchadnezzar and We'll fit in here with Alexander the Great. We'll fit in here with Antiochus Epiphanes. We'll fit in here with the coming of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ. We'll fit in here the destruction of Jerusalem. We'll fit in here the wars and the rumors of wars. And you'll come on down to the final end and then you'll get the great consummation and the return of Christ in the clouds of heaven. But chapter 2 gives you the great image and the various stages of history from uh, from, from, uh the great Babylonian leader, Nebuchadnezzar, who dreamed the dream and forgot it. So Daniel gives it back to him, and then Daniel interprets, and then you have the great succession through these years until finally the Son of Man is going to set up his kingdom. So the second chapter is the, is the key to the whole book, and it overlaps everything else that you find in the book, and everything else will fit into that image. All right, you get the third chapter. When you get to the third chapter of the book of Daniel... Uh, you have Nebuchadnezzar, very proud and very, very uh, haughty. And so he makes an image of gold in the likeness of a man and sets it up. This great king, and he's the gold empire. He represents the gold, so he makes himself an image of gold to bring glory to himself. And here, of course, you have the story of the Hebrews, three Hebrews that were thrown in the fiery furnace, and they refused to bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made. And this shows the character, this shows the faith, and this shows the obedience of these faithful Jews who were the remnant and who believed in the God of Israel. So that's chapter 3. They will stand, they will sacrifice, they will die, but God delivers them. All right, you get into chapter 4. And Nebuchadnezzar has this other dream about this tree. And it's a great tree and it's about his glory. But God humbles Nebuchadnezzar and he has to go out and eat grass. Then you come into chapter 5 and that's a very interesting one. Belshazzar has now come to power and he has a great feast and he's pretty haughty too in his feast. These world, you know, power begets power and here it all is. And you've got to restrict powers, no doubt about it. But Belshazzar, he was having his great feast, and that night, of course, you had the handwriting on the wall, meany, meany, tickle, you forcing, and his kingdom fell, and he fell. All right, you get over to the sixth chapter, and you get into the sixth chapter. Darius comes to power. He's the king now. 
And it's under him that these enemies of Daniel seek to trap him, and so they get him to issue one of these decrees. And as a result of it, Daniel ends up in the lion's den, and God has to stop the mouths of the lions, and God delivers Daniel out of the lion's den. So here's Daniel and his companions in chapter 1. Here's the great world succession here of empires ending up in the coming of Christ there at the end time. That's chapter 2. And then you have the exaltation of power, this image of gold, and yet the Hebrews that were true to Abraham and Moses wouldn't bow down to it. They trusted to God and he delivered them. And then Nebuchadnezzar gets another one of these big visions about this tree that's going to fill the whole earth and everything else, and so God humbles him. And then he gets his foot down, and then we get the next great ruler comes along, and he has his great feast, and God deals with him. Meany, meany, tickle you, farson. His day of judgment has come. And then we come to the next one, the third great king and he's manipulated to where he wants to be honored and worshipped and Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. So in these instances you have the testing of these men of faith. These men of faith. And beloved, the faith that they had and the testings that they have have been the testings and the faith of Christian people in every generation where obedience to Christ is come into conflict with the powers of darkness and with the political authorities who sought to exalt themselves upon the face of this earth. Now when you get over to the seventh chapter of Daniel, Daniel has a dream and it parallels chapter 2. In the seventh chapter, Daniel has this great dream, and it parallels chapter 2. In chapter 2, the head was a head of gold. In chapter 7, uh, the first, uh, the first uh, beast which he sees uh, is that of a lion, corresponding to the gold. In chapter 2, the second is silver, and in chapter 7, the second is uh, uh, like unto a bear. In chapter 2, the third is the brass, and that represents the Greek uh, empire of Alexander the Great. In chapter 7, the third, of course, represents the leopard. In chapter 2, the fourth is the great uh, uh, iron uh, coming down in the two legs and finally to the toes, or the ten toes. And in chapter 7, uh, this fourth beast is a terrible beast having all these different heads. And it corresponds and has ten horns and so forth. And it corresponds. So Daniel here now sees these world empires, not as Nebuchadnezzar saw them in his dream, as gold and silver and brass and iron and the ten toes. He sees them as these terrible beasts, uh, the, uh, the lion and the uh, bear and the leopard. And then this terrible beast of all that you find at the last, which finally has these ten horns, and then out of the ten horns there's one that consumes uh, uh, three of them, and he rises to be uh, the little horn, as it's spoken of here. And then, beloved, Daniel gets the interpretation of this in this seventh chapter. And he begins to spell out some of the, some of the details of it. And so you move into the eighth chapter, and when you move into the eighth chapter, Daniel begins to specify uh, not only the Nebuchadnezzar reign and the four kings here, but he comes into the, to the uh, uh, Medo-Persian empire, and then he comes into the Grecian empire, Alexander the Great, and he tells how Alexander the Great's kingdom was split down into four parts, and then how out of this came the union between Egypt and Persia, or Syria, and the rise then of about 170 of Antiochus Epiphanes, who went in and defiled and created this abomination by the sacrifice of this sow. 
and you've got a reproduction of that in the great abomination that's going to take place. But here it is. Then you get into the ninth chapter. What do you get into the ninth chapter? When you get into the ninth chapter, you have all these preliminaries in prayer and Daniel's crying out and then God gives him the vision of the 70 weeks. The 70 weeks. And these are accomplished till the bringing in of everlasting righteousness. And beloved, the 70 weeks, they come from the time of Nebuchadnezzar clear on down to the stone that's come without hands and smites this thing and fills the whole earth. And in the sweep of these 70 weeks, from the time when God gives the vision to Daniel, he says it'll be 70 weeks and it's 69 weeks until Messiah the Prince shall be cut off. And he's called Messiah the Prince and not for himself. And so there is a time prophecy, one of the most remarkable of all scripture, and one which is characteristic of these Old Testament, but which we don't have so far as the second coming of Christ is concerned, but it actually did indicate the time at which this crucifixion would take place, and it was the study of Daniel and the study of these prophecies in the Bible that led Simeon and Anna and those who were anticipating in their day the coming of the consolation of Israel. They studied these scriptures and they got out of these scriptures an indication as to the time when Messiah would come and when the Messiah, the prince, would be cut off and not for himself. So in the ninth chapter of Daniel you have this magnificent prophecy that brings you to the cross and to the crucifixion. Well, what you get in the tenth chapter? Well, in the tenth chapter you have nothing more than just these magnificent visions of the glory of God and God's getting ready to prepare Daniel again now for some other mighty revelations about the future. And it's not until you get into the 11th chapter that you get the Pacific. See, the, the, the 10th chapter is a great chapter of praise and adulation and the glories of God and Daniel's dependence, Daniel's weakness, Daniel's utterly undone in the presence of all these mighty revelations that are given to him. But when you get into the 11th chapter, then you get these details. And it's the 11th chapter, ladies and gentlemen, that stumped the scholars. It's the one that they can't get around. It's the one that they just have to throw out. This 11th chapter, because Daniel here in this 11th chapter then proceeds to get some of the details. And he outlines, of course, the coming of Alexander the Great and the division of his power. And then actually the succession during that period from Daniel until about 150 uh, B.C. You have almost history pre-written. It's a most remarkable chapter, this 11th chapter of Daniel. And yet it's one that today we pay very little attention to because it's all past and it's all been fulfilled. But it pertains to power and the rise of kings and marriages that took place. These things are specified in the 11th chapter. And these modern scholars that don't believe the Bible, they look at this thing and say, nobody could have ever written that thing. And describe this succession of kingdoms and the breaking up of Alexander's kingdom into four. And then the reorganization here and the marriage here between this, this preen. And there's possibly even a reference here to some other very outstanding figures that have arisen. Cleopatra and others are possibly represented in this passage. And these men, they look at it and they say, that couldn't possibly take place. And so they say we've got to date the writing of this book after these things actually happened on the face of this earth. But to you and me it isn't a problem. It is not a problem at all. If Daniel could get a vision of the head of gold and see it down the road. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, here's the Medo-Persian, here's Alexander, here's Rome, here's the two legs, here's the... 
iron and the clay and the Son of Man coming to set up his kingdom. All this is already taking place. The rest of us going to come along too in due course. We have no problem with it. Very easy, very simple for us. And furthermore, if the Lord Jesus Christ could give to Daniel a prophecy like the ninth chapter of Daniel that tells him when he would be cut off, when Messiah the Prince, that's the word, Messiah the Prince, you can't possibly interpret it any other way, shall be cut off, and that not for himself. If all that can be given us in such detail, these matters are no problems to us. It's no problem at all. We just look at it, we accept it, and all we want to know is the Lord uh, show us the clear meaning of it so we can identify it and see the way this thing unfolded. Now, let me just turn to these early parts here of the 11th chapter, and also we'll turn back to this uh, 7th chapter and the 8th chapter, and you'll get these references now to the immediate, uh, to the immediate uh, references to... Uh, uh, these kings that followed. Uh, in the eleventh chapter we read, And now I will show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia. Three more shall arise, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all, and by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. Now here's the Grecian Empire. Here's Greece over. He's going to overtake over Greece. And a mighty king shall stand up and shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity. All right, now will you just turn back a little further, please, in this... Uh, eighth chapter of Daniel. And in the eighth chapter of Daniel, beginning with verse 15, And it came to pass, when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning of them, behold, there stood before me an appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Stand, understand, O son of man, uh, for at the end of the time shall be the vision. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face. And uh, uh, then he, he has him stand up and so forth. Now verse 20. The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Meda and Persia. And the rough goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it. Four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. Now, beloved, Daniel was writing around 550. Nebuchadnezzar was a head of gold. We've had him identified. We get the two kings of the Medo-Persian Empire, the two horns, they're identified. And then we come to the silver kingdom that he talked about, the silver that's represented. And we have a rough goat is the king of Greece, 
The great horn that is between his eyes is the first king, and this is unquestionably Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great was 330, 340 along in that period, as you know, and he destroyed the Medo-Persian Empire and set the great uh, Grecian Empire into being. And... uh, 550 to 330, there's some 200 years between the time Daniel writes this thing and Daniel and the prophet, or rather the king rather, comes to pass that is described here, this rough he-goat. Now that being broken, where a four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. In other words, when Alexander the Great was assassinated, or rather when he died... He was only 30, was it 30 years of age? And the kingdom split into four realms. And he had no descendants. It wasn't in his power. It didn't come from him. And the whole world split into those four kingdoms exactly like Daniel prophesies here in this passage. And Daniel's telling us about it 200 years before it ever took place. Now you turn back to the 11th chapter of Daniel and you have the same reference. The two go together very gently and very nicely. And we read in verse 3 that after the attack is made on the realm of Greece that then this mighty king shall arise and this is Alexander the Great rising up and he shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will and when he shall stand up his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity. Beloved, can you imagine anybody writing such details as this concerning the falling out of the political order of the world 200 years before it ever took place? I can understand how these unbelieving scholars read this and say, Daniel, whoever wrote this book knew all about it. Well, he did know all about it because God revealed it to him. He did know all about it because the God of history who knows the end from the beginning was pleased to tell Daniel these things in order that Daniel might have a message of comfort and a message that would confirm the revelation that God had given to him for his people, for the Jews who were indeed the children of Abraham and the children of Moses. Beloved, you begin to read on down through this in these various sections and you come into these details of the succeeding history following Daniel until the time of the rise of our of the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so you have these details in history and they're spelled out in such detail. I don't have time to go in more tonight. I've taken you through the Medo-Persian. I've taken you to Alexander the Great. And next Sunday night we'll go a little further in this because all of these things are in here in order that you and I today might believe that when the Bible says something, it's going to come to pass. You and I might believe that the God who could predict Alexander the Great, the God who could give to Isaiah the name of Cyrus, king of Persia, could give his name 200 years before he reigned and tell what he would do, that that is the God of Revelation. That is the God of creation. And this is the God who gave his Son to be our Savior and to redeem us from our sins and give to us the gift of everlasting life. Now will you turn with me back please to the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel for just a moment because I want you to get into this. 
In this seventh chapter, I pointed out to you that it corresponds to the second chapter. The second chapter is the great image of head of gold and silver and brass and iron and all that clear on down. And here you have a parallel vision that describes these empires in the terms of beasts. A lion and a bear and a leopard and then this awful fearful beast. And you come on down to the, the ten horns that are described here. But now will you just notice, beginning with verse 9, I want you to look at it. I beheld till the thrones were cast down. You remember where that little stone was going to come without hands and smite this image and throw the kingdoms down? Here you got this parallel. But let's look at this. This is, this is Revelation. This corresponds to what you find in the fifth chapter of Revelation. But here it is. Behold, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Daniel saw clear on down through over the empires and down to the day of final judgment. And here's the almighty God now preparing to take care of the judgment of the nations. Now notice please. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain. What beast? What beast was slain? This final great world dominion that finally takes final shape. That beast is going to be slain. And this ties in then with the book of Revelation. And beloved, I can't stand here in this pulpit and, and accept literally the Babylonian kingdom and the Persian empire and the Grecian empire of Alexander and see that Alexander was slain and it was all broken into four empires and see the way the reordering took place and God spelled all this thing out in the 11th chapter of Daniel for us. I can't accept all that and turn around and spiritualize this beast. I'm not going to do it. He's there. Now look at the rest of that. And the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken from them, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. I saw in the night visions and beheld one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that shall not be destroyed it's New Testament beloved that's New Testament and we sit here tonight a little company of believers we've come apart from the world the world's out on the highways tonight the world doesn't understand what we're talking about. They don't understand, but the wise shall understand. And we come into the house of God and we open this old book of Daniel, begin to search it, just like the believers back there before the first coming. They searched it and they searched it and they searched it. And they began to study this prophecy of 70 weeks and they said, yes, the Messiah, the Prince will be cut off and not for himself. And so they looked for him. But oh, you look at the rest of this thing and then you have the details and you finally have the Roman Empire and then you have the legs breaking down. Then you get the toes and then you get the corresponding ten horns and you finally get this one beast that rises up 
out of the three and he rises up and seems to have more dominion than the other. And you see all these things coming and as you come down to the end, Daniel says, the ancient of days sat and the books were open and then were like unto the Son of Man he came in the great clouds of heaven and he came to set up his kingdom. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And I want to tell you people, I can't take literally what's said in Daniel about the image. And I can't take literal what's said in damage about the lion and about the leopard and about the bear. I can't take literally those things as they fall out for us and not take literally the clouds of heaven and the ancient of days and this son of man. And it's this marvelous vision of the second coming of Christ and the consummation of God's program for this old world that stopped these unbelievers. But to you and me, it's glorious. To you and me, it's magnificent. To you and me, we see the stage being set for it. We see these powers rising and the world is set for some great power to take over the reins of government and we're being told it's that's what we're going to have to do to have peace. And the world in its darkness is building a, a beastly power. We understand. We understand. Because we see this book. And beloved, I hold in my hands tonight the infallible word of God. And when you look at Daniel, and he knew when Daniel saw these visions, and he was troubled, and he knew and it made him so weak, he was absolutely powerless. He had no strength left in himself when these mighty things came into his heart and into his mind, and God revealed them unto him. Think of Daniel being a channel of revelation of all the history of the world and the rise and fall of nations. Think of Daniel being the recipient from heaven of this marvelous vision that the Son of Man shall be cut off, but not for himself. Think of Daniel getting this vision that he saw one like unto the Son of Man rising in the clouds of heaven. Think of a picture like that given to Daniel 600 years before Christ was born. There it is. This book is true, beloved. This book is God's word. There's no other book like it. There can't be any other book like it. And furthermore, when you start to tear Daniel to pieces because you don't like the prophecies concerning Alexander the Great and Antiochus Epiphanes and these others that came along in the next 100, 200 to 300 years after his death, and you try to get around that, when you try to get around it, you're still stumped with the clouds of heaven and the ancient of days and the Son of Man coming at the end of all this present age. And that's where we're headed tonight. They that be wise shall understand. And I believe that we understand it. God's given it to us. Tremendous comfort. You know what it does? It lifts you up off this old earth with all its troubles. And you have a perspective. Look down through the courses of history and look on down through the channels of time as they're out beyond us. It seems as though you rise all above it and you stand in the light of God's revelation and you look at the stage of time and you look at the convulsions of nations and you say there's a day coming when a stone that's cut out not with hands will strike this thing. It's going to fill the whole earth. There's a day coming when the ancient of days will sit and the books are going to be opened. There's a day coming when the Son of Man shall come in the clouds of heaven. 
And when he ascended into heaven, a cloud received him out of their sight. And the message came back, this same Jesus which is taken up from you shall so come again in like manner as ye have seen him go. A cloud took him out of their sight. He'll come in the clouds of heaven. That little reference to that cloud there in the book of Acts is tied in with the great prophecies that Daniel has given us here in this 8th and in this 11th chapter of Daniel. Beloved, I tell you tonight, we are standing in the presence of the Word of God. And it's here in order that you may believe the message of this Word, not just for the future, but for your personal redemption. It's here that you might see it, yes, for your comfort, yes, for the blessing of your soul, yes, for your great comprehensive understanding of these things. And you stand in the light of it, you stand free, and you stand above all these things, and your heart rejoices in the knowledge that God gave to Daniel, and that's your knowledge, and that's in your heart, beloved. But every bit of that is in the book of Daniel in order that you might believe that God sent his son to die for your sins. And on that cross to be cut off for you, not for himself. That you might believe that he made that atonement complete and final and full upon the cross. And believing in him, ye shall have life from the dead. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank thee tonight for this passage. And as we go a little further, as we come again next Sunday night, may we come back. And let us get into this, some of these other details of this 11th chapter. But we do thank thee that Daniel saw Alexander the Great. And that Daniel identified him. And then he saw that none of his posterity would be able to take his kingdom and it would split into four parts. And oh, Father, at this point it seems almost that history was pre-written in this book. And we thank thee for it all. But Father, as thou didst tell him about Alexander, thou didst also tell him about the consummation of the time and these end time days when an apostasy would be upon us, when many should depart from the faith, when men on every hand would be deceived and deception would be the great uh, triumph of Satan in the last days. Father, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for the truth of it. We thank thee that it holds us, that we don't hold it. We thank thee that it lays upon us the glorious realization of our security in thine eternal purpose. We believe, Lord. Oh, help us this week in our problems, our trials. Give us strength. Lengthen our days. May we see the work of the Lord abound and grow. Help us in all the great things that thou hast set before us. For Christ's sake, amen.